Blog Talk Radio. Calling all men. It's now your time for your show with your coach, the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Relax, be heard, and be understood. It's a show where men can be men. Now here's the coach who has your back, Linda Gross. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. I am energized and ready to tell you about today's show. We're going to be talking about traveling as a couple. Now, we all know that vacations are supposed to take you away from your day-to-day life's headaches. We all know that traveling itself can be stressful. Oh, the packing, the planning, the dealing with the unknown, of course, can be difficult. On top of all that, when adding a partner to that mix who might just happen to have a different travel style than you, oh, brother, look out. It can make a vacation feel downright overwhelming. Just like there is no perfect time to get married or to have a kid, traveling for the first time can make a person think there is also no perfect time for this outing. So what does it take? Well, in my opinion, it takes a certain degree of confidence and a certain degree of trust that things will work out and maybe a little dash of plan B just for good measure in case things go awry. So I would like you to join our guest today, Todd Wattellis, friend to the show. He's been on many times, and he's here to help us talk about this topic. Welcome, Todd, to the show. Thank you, Linda, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome. All right, my audience, if you want to call in on this travel show, maybe you're planning a trip or maybe you just finished a trip that was a disaster, whatever it is, we'd love to hear your comments and questions. You can call in at 323-642-1677, or if you're too shy, you can hit me up on the chat line. I'll be watching for you right here on blogtalkradio.com, blogtalkradio.com forward slash DT Linda Gross. All right. Well, let's dive in, Todd. Where should we start? Let's start with maybe the person who's going on a vacation for the very first time with their partner. What are some do's and don'ts with that person? Well, that's a good place to start off. That's actually approximately what I was going to say when I started the whole thing as far as the first subject to get into. And that is you need to understand regarding traveling with a partner, whether it's a good idea at all in the first place, because sometimes it's not. Now, Mm. the longer and more stable the relationship is, the more elaborate the vacation you can plan. So someone you just met, someone you just started dating, while it may seem fun and exciting to plan a trip with them, it can be an absolute disaster. And in fact, in most cases that I've seen personally, it has been. And I'm not just talking about with me. I'm talking about with people I know. And I've told them, don't do it, don't do it. And then they go and they come back and they say, 
Yep, that was awful. So first of all, with a new relationship, someone that you've been seeing only for a short time, if you really want to go somewhere with them, go for one night. One night isn't much of a risk. <laughs> one night, you can't get on each other's nerves quickly. I'm not even kidding. And I don't really yeah. mean a one-night stand. I'm talking about like just stay in a hotel for one night, and that's yeah. it. You know, weekend can be too much because you can start to get on each other's nerves, and there can just be too much time in that thing because you don't know each other that well yet. And uh, it can actually be very fun just going for one night because there isn't time to get bored there isn't time for stress to develop. There isn't time for a lot of problems to happen. Because remember, I'm sure everybody listening here has taken vacations before that are lengthy, even just with their family. And the longer you're on a vacation, the more chances that things will go wrong, even unrelated to how people on the vacation are getting along with each other. Just problems maybe with a hotel, maybe with the thing you're going to be doing, something's gone wrong with it. There's all kinds of issues that can happen on vacation. And the shorter you keep it, the less of a chance that one of these issues will take place. So one night is what I would suggest on a new relationship. But after you've been with the person for more than just a little bit and you're getting along with them okay and everything seems to be going well, then, yeah, you can definitely do more than one night. But as I was saying, it should be something where you plan something according to how stable you think everything is. Because uh, it takes a stable relationship to where you'd want to spend time with that person vacationing for, say, two weeks. That's something very hard to do with someone you just met. And as far as the vacation itself. All right. It's- before we get into the vacation, I want to also comment on the brand new person. I fully agree with you. In fact, I don't even want you to go on a first date, a lengthy first date that, you know, some of these dates last two, three, four, five hours. Heck to the no. <laughs> That's not what I advise. So I agree with you on the travel time. However, there are a lot of guys out there that they do want to go on a long trip. And why is that? To me, I think they're needy. They're they're either wanting to impress the girl or throw their money around. It's almost like the same thing as buying a football ticket or a concert ticket. You know, you're there with the person for three plus hours. It's like, you know, I want to impress you because I can't impress you with my own personality, so I'm going to do it with these tickets and or I'm going to do it with this vacation. So there's actually a trend that's going on right now. Um, I just pulled up a survey from Plenty of Fish who interviewed 7,000 singles, and they found that 38% of the population overall and 43% of Gen Xers had gone on a spontaneous vacation with a partner that they just met. So they asked them why, and they cited YOLO as the reason for not waiting. You only live yeah. once. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's, your, what's your position on that? What's your thought on that? Well, yeah, if it's more than one night, it's not a good idea. And I think not only are you correct about people trying to impress the person they're taking, they think yeah. this is going to be something that will score points, but also – it gets very romanticized. They think that they're going to go on a vacation. It'll create a very romantic scene. It will be more likely that sex will happen. It'll be just 
an atmosphere that they think will be really, really good and get things starting off with a bang. But the problem is it can backfire in a lot of ways, and then you feel stupid, and you can even have a situation where this will kill a relationship early on, which otherwise could have worked because mm. there, there can be situations where you are compatible with someone, but something that happens at the beginning, which leaves a negative impression, kills the whole thing, and it's done. So you've got to be careful that you don't jump into something right away that might cause that sort of thing. You, you have to wait till it's a little bit more stable. So at what point, you were saying the first outing might be just a one-nighter. At what point, you know, should you make that, that move? Should you make that suggestion? Well, you're, you're saying wait for something substantial, wait for the relationship to be a little bit solid or that it's going in the right direction. So what's your take on that? When should you make that that travel suggestion? I think more than one night can happen maybe at the two or three month mark, provided you're seeing each other at least somewhat regularly. I don't mean seeing each other once a week for yeah. uh, two months. That's not enough. But if you see each other semi-regularly, then two or three months, you can maybe go for a weekend. But I would wait six months into the relationship before going on any kind of real trip more than just a weekend. Right. And I think if you have something in common you might be able to tighten that frame. In other words, if you're both craft beer lovers, for example, and there's a beer festival happening, you know, Oktoberfest or whatever, and it's now, I don't know, August, um, you know, that might be a good time to plan it because you both are, are beer lovers or whatever. So if you're, if you're planning it around a mutual interest, I think you might have a little bit better chance of success. Yes, definitely true. In fact, I had planned to talk about that. I'll get into that a little bit later. But along those lines, yeah. when, when you plan a vacation, you do have to make sure that it focuses upon time that's spent together, which means let's say you're going on a work trip. Let's say your work is sending you to New York City, and then you talk to the person you've been dating. They say, oh, I've always wanted to go to New York City. And then you say, oh, cool, well, just come along with me. You know, I'm getting a free ticket there anyway, so I'll buy one for you and just hang out in the hotel room. And then when I'm done with work, then uh, we'll go out on the town. Not a good idea. Why? Because you have to leave them alone for the entire day in the hotel room by themselves when you are doing whatever you have to do there for work. So it's not a good idea to bring along uh, partners, especially new partners. Someone you've been with for a long time, it's a different story. But uh, new or even semi-new partners. And when I say semi-new, I mean like six months, even a year. Like you don't want to bring them on a trip that doesn't focus just on time spent together. So no work trips, no trips mm -hmm. to see your family, unless these things are only a small time commitment compared to the rest of the vacation. So if you're going somewhere where you happen to have family and you stop by and see them for two hours uh, out of uh, five days, that's no problem. But if a lot of the time focuses around seeing your family. That's not going to be something fun for the other person or vice versa. Their family It's not going to be fun for you. And I've had this before where I've been pressured to go spend a lot of time with the family of a girl I'm vacationing with. And it's something that I don't really want to do. And again, I don't mind spending some time with the family and visiting, but I wouldn't want to build a vacation around that, especially near the beginning. It's different if you're in a relationship for years or if you're married, then that's a whole different matter. But I'm talking about someone you're still kind of in the dating phase. That's what you don't want to do. You want vacations to be about time spent together.
Mm-hmm. Agreed. And oftentimes meeting the family has different implications. It has different meanings other than just traveling. So do you really want to <laughs> bite, that, bite that off right in the beginning like that? I don't think a lot of people do. And again, the family could kick you out, you know, and otherwise, you know, if you let nature take its course and the relationship take its course, you know, you might have ended up together. But the family, you know, you did one little thing wrong and they they can just nix you. Right. I actually agree with that. And in in fact, along those lines, you should not travel with other couples near the beginning either, at or near the beginning, because, again, you're introducing other people who are important to the person you're dating, who may influence them. So even if she likes you, if they don't, if these other people don't, who you don't otherwise care about, then it can ruin the whole thing. So why would you want to have to impress three people when you really only need to impress one? So you really don't want to bring that in until everything's so stable where she won't care what uh, the – what her friends say, and you may say, well, okay, well, I'll just bring my friends if she's okay with it. No, that's not a good idea either because it can create an uncomfortable pos- position for her, and or, or one of your friends can say something offensive and cause some trouble. You just don't want to do it. You want to be in control of your own fate, and you don't want third parties messing it up in the early stages. And an easy way to do that is to travel with another couple or even a few other couples where you're just introducing all kinds of variables that can mess things up that don't need to be there. I agree. I agree. So do we have any more to say about the brand new person, the brand new relationship before we move on to somebody who's a little more significant? No. Okay. Let's move on. Step it up to either the significant other and or, you know, wife, spouse, what have you. Um, You know, what are some travel tips? With that person, because it doesn't always mean you're going to get along, even though you might be together for years. You might have absolutely different travel styles. So we're going to get into all those little ins and and outs. So let's dive into the person who is now a significant other and or spouse. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing is that if the person that you're with is just habitually difficult during travel. And I don't mean they happen to have a bad trip for some reason or just something happens which gets them mad or you have a big fight that you wouldn't see occurring every time. That will occur sometimes. But I'm talking about someone who it just seems like every time you travel with them, they're unhappy, they're difficult, they can't be satisfied. It's not going to get better. So if you start seeing that pattern emerge, other than leaving them, the other solution is just don't travel with them because there are some people you just really can't travel with unless you want to be miserable. And it, it's a spectrum. You know, some people are very, very easy to please during travel and very, very easy to get along with. And then there's people in the middle. And then there's some people who are just constantly miserable unless uh, they're where they live. So you've got to watch out for that too. You can't try to force someone into travel who clearly doesn't like it. Right. All right. I I think we're going to talk about a few uh, tips for when the couple is has clashing styles, like how to solve it. Um, It might not be that you have to trash the relationship altogether, but 
maybe there are a few things that we can do to make the situation better. Maybe somebody wants to step off the gas and the other person does step on the gas, or we'll talk about those when we come back from the break. So if you have just joined us, you're currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. Today we are talking about traveling as a couple. We just finished the brand new uh, person in your life, and we're going to be talking about, when we come back from the break, the person who is more significant. So call us, 323-642-1677, or the chat line, uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash DT Linda Gross, and we will catch you right back after the break. The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. We will be discussing men's issues, dating, relationships, sex, women, fitness, health, business, men's hobbies, men's rights, and more. She will be talking about excerpts from her men's book, Mastering Women, too. Hi, guys. You've heard her on the Men's Advocate Show. Linda Gross wants you to know what turns a woman on and makes her go wild so she just can't help herself. Check out Linda's book, Mastering Women, Real Truth About Women That'll Change Your Life Forever. Linda gives you all the insider tips on how to catch a woman and, if you want, to keep her. In four easy steps, these proven techniques will make women just melt. Ever wonder why the girl you really liked seemed to be great when you met, then all of a sudden just goes cold on you and turns you off? Linda will also let you know what not to do on a date. Never blow it again by losing another hot woman. You don't have to be good looking or even have money. Her book, Mastering Women, is available in paperback and ebook. Men, Linda's on your side. So buy her book, Mastering Women. Buy it for now. And don't keep your women waiting another minute. Get Mastering Women today. You've heard her on the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. How can you help further? From her Facebook fan page of the same name. Hit the Shop Now button and save this link to your favorites. Make all your usual Amazon purchases and some of the revenue will support her show at no additional cost to you. No book purchase required. Just start with this link every time. The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross thanks you. Welcome back, everybody. You're currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. Today, we are on with my guest host, Todd Wattellis. So we're diving into someone who is more significant in your life, but perhaps they have a clashing traveling style than you. How to solve this problem. Todd, you want to take this away, and I'll offer some of my suggestions as well? Yeah, sure. So it's very important on a vacation that both people are happy with what is planned to be done. So it shouldn't just be a vacation that makes one person happy. It needs to be something that both are going to enjoy. Now, you can have some things that appeal much more to one person. The other kind of goes along with it. But then it's important to go the other way as well if such a thing is happening where both people feel satisfied with what the vacation is and what it's supposed to be. And the only way to know this is to talk about it, is to have communication. Usually when there's a couple's vacation planned, there's one person who puts it all together, who makes the itinerary, who books the hotels, everything like that. So that's very hard to do with two people. But what you can do is talk with 
your partner, or if they're going to be the one doing the booking, make sure they talk to you and talk about what you're planning to do. Say, hey, does this sound good? Does this sound fun? Would you like to do this? Would you like to go to this place? How long would you like to spend here? How long would you like to spend there? And also kind of try to think about what you know about them. And number one, pick things you think they're going to like, and they, of course, you'll like too. And second, anything you think that might be questionable go to them. And I've had to do that myself when I'm in the middle of planning something. Sometimes something will appeal to me and I go, wait a minute, I'm not sure if my girlfriend's going to want to do this. So then I will ask her or I'll want to spend longer in some place than I think maybe she would. And I'll ask, hey, is it okay if we spend four days or three days in this one particular spot? So mm-hmm. you, you have to have communication back and forth. And in fact, I've made this mistake myself where I haven't, where I've uh, put together a vacation where the girl doesn't want to be part of that process, and every time I try to ask her, she says, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And then we get there, and I get complaints. Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Yeah, this doesn't really interest me. And then I feel like a chump for not have insisting that they at least listen to what you're doing. So that's something else is that once you've planned it, if you're the one putting it all together, make sure that you present it to the person you're traveling with so they can approve it so to speak, because uh, you don't want to get the bad news when they're there that they're they're doing something that they're really not going to enjoy. So that's very important. And take suggestions from them. If you get objections, say, okay, what things would you like to do there? What places would you like to go? Uh, And and, uh, also ask them in general what places that they'd like to go and see if you can book somewhere like that. Or if you can't do this this time, say, okay, next time we'll go such and such a place that appeals more to you. But make sure that both people are happy with where you're going and what you're doing and that nobody's resentful that they're kind of being left out or their interests are being ignored. I would push for the fact to try to get the objection while you're still at home. So if it's something she really doesn't want to do, and a lot of times women are people pleasers and they won't speak up. They'll wait till they're on the trip <laughs> to complain. But, you know, by that time, it's almost a little bit too late. So try to push for them to say, no, I really don't want to do that, or I really don't want to spend four hours doing that activity, but I will spend two hours doing the activity or whatever it is. Try to push for that while you're still at home and you have time to prepare and amend and change your plans or whatever. So I think that's that's really important. Um, my husband and I are both very detail-oriented, but luckily when we go on a trip, he's the type of person where he's a take-charge type of person all day long at work. So when we go on a trip, he doesn't want to do that. He has zero interest in planning and prodding and all that kind of stuff. So I take that role, and it works out really well. So, um, you know, that's one way to solve it. If one person is the planner and one person, you know, is is along for the ride, so to speak. So maybe another way to solve clashing travel styles is they say to trade off. Maybe odd days you do it his way and even days you do it her way. I really can't see this working. How, How about you, Todd? To take turns at no, see, you being can't a really planner. That. No, I think you just have to keep your partner in mind when you're planning something, and then and try to think. Okay, if I were them, like no, from what I know about her, would she like this? And try to put something together you both like, and then present it as you said before you leave. In fact, before you even pay for anything that you can't get a refund, 
make sure that they approve it. And I always do that myself. I do that. I, I've been in a relationship for now almost 13 years. I still do this because uh, I want to make sure that she's going to enjoy herself on the trip uh, like I will. So uh, I, I will present this to her. And if she objects to something, then we'll try to come up with solutions. It's very important to do that because the last thing you want is someone resenting the situation on vacation. But I actually have a, a little tip here that mm-hmm. – can really make a vacation better, and it's a lot of times overlooked, and that is to avoid crowds if possible and try to book during non-peak times, such as weekdays, such as non-holiday periods, such as uh, not going uh, when you think everybody else is going to be traveling, like during the summer vacation season or during the winter break. And sometimes you can't help it, and sometimes weather's a factor too. There's some areas you wouldn't want to go to when it's not the summer because they're too cold or some places that uh, you need to go in the winter because it's a winter activity. So uh, there are some parameters you have to fit into sometimes, but you can usually find non-peak times to go. Sometimes you can't because of work, or what if you have kids and you have to be a slave to the school schedule? I understand that. In fact, uh, being a father myself, I've had to deal with that over the last decade. But if you do have that flexibility, it will be so much nicer to be traveling when there's not crowds everywhere. Not only nicer, but cheaper. You get the best of both worlds. It's cheaper, and it's just much more relaxing and much less stressful. The last thing you want is wall-to-wall people everywhere doing the same thing you're trying to do and competing for the same space, the same hotel rooms, the same everything, and the stress difference can be tremendous. So if you can avoid crowds, then do it, even in places that are always going to have some crowds, like let's say you're going to Yellowstone National Park or Disneyland. Well, it's, it's very hard to avoid crowds in those places, but mm-hmm. you can still try to go at times when the crowds aren't quite as bad. So that's something you should keep in mind when uh, planning a trip. And in general, you need to think, is this what everybody else is doing? And then if the answer is yes, think, okay, then maybe I shouldn't. I'm not saying it's a hard no, but I'm saying it's something to consider. And, uh, I have found when it has not been crowded on trips I've gone on that it's just been such a nicer experience. I agree, too. The last time we went to Disney World in Florida, we went the first – they say to go the first two weeks in December. So not Thanksgiving week. Get that out of the way because that's crowded, too. But the first two weeks – Apparently, there's nobody there, and there was nobody there. It was a breeze going on all the rides and having breathing room to walk around and what have you, so fully agree with you there. So do you think there should be one person who takes charge of the plan, or should they both equally contribute, or what's your take on that? Well, it's usually just logistically difficult to have two people doing it because when you're putting a trip together, you're figuring out all the different details and fitting them all together into one trip. And if there's two people doing it, then the second person has to constantly know what the first person's doing. So if you're going to sit there together and do it, and both people have enough interest to do that and the time to do that, that's fine. But the truth is, with most couples, that doesn't occur because it's just kind of difficult to do. So with the trips I go on, I am the one who plans it, as I mentioned. And I think that's totally fine. I think that's a standard thing where uh, one person plans it and the, and the other kind of goes along. And that's why you just have to have the communication the whole way 
especially before anything is really booked that you can't easily back out of. So this way, you know, everybody approves. Gotcha. I agree. What would make me really happy is if I did all the planning, the itinerary stuff, the sightseeing stuff, and if my partner, or in my case, my husband, if he planned all the dinners, for example. So, I mean, that would be <laughs> a big thing off my plate. And they're, not, and they're not conflicting things. They're two totally separate areas. That would really be fun. <laughs> yeah, well, Maybe I could dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, everybody's got their own uh, style of uh, planning and, and how much they want to bring the other person into into doing the planning. Uh, so for each couple, it's different. You just got to find what works and, and which person prefers to do it. It's just communication is key there. Uh, something regarding the planning, and that is to – Always look for kind of off-the-beaten-path things to do that may not be something everybody knows, but might be in the area. And thanks to the Internet, it's a lot easier to find these things than before where you'd have to try to dig it out of the AAA book or whatever else you have that's uh, helping plan travel back uh, decades ago. But now with the Internet, there's a lot of things you can read about, and you can go on, for example, TripAdvisor, and there's a, a list of number one all the way to number 100 of, of things to do in whatever place you're going, and you scroll down, and every once in a while you'll find something and go, you know what, I haven't heard of this before, and you'll click on it, and then you, you can go Google that to see more about it. And sometimes you go, wow, this seems pretty cool, and almost no one knows about this. And then you go, and sometimes it can be a really nice experience, and, of course, there will be very little crowds and something like that. And uh, sometimes these can be the best parts of the trips are things that you find that uh, are kind of unknown that uh, otherwise you would have totally missed and nobody would even think to go to. So you should – if you are planning, if you are the one planning it, look for things like that. Don't just go to the obvious things in the destination. You can do that too. There's some things you don't want to miss that you're going to that are very big that – everyone knows about. But you also should look for some things to do, at least in some of the places, that are lesser known, because that doesn't mean they're worse. Right. And I like your idea about finding things that are off the beaten path, or maybe they're you know, it's the wrong season to go to those activities or whatever. And I know as parents, we always want to include our, our kids in the trip. But maybe there are some occasions where you do want to take an adult vacation. Maybe the kid has, you know, a swim intensive for a week or a tennis intensive for a week or whatever. Or, you know, otherwise the child is staying with grandma or whatever it is. And you want to take that adult vacation that's during non-peak hours. That might be the time to, to book that type of trip. Yes, and that is a good thing to do. And, in fact, if you are a couple but uh, the kids are not both of yours – then that's even more important because uh, – and I'm not talking about a really long relationship where uh, you're essentially the step-parent. I'm talking about something like uh, uh, a relationship that's not new, but also you haven't been in it forever. So uh, if the other person has kids, it can be frustrating for the other adult to have to revolve it around kids that aren't theirs. So. In that case, it's even more important to take an adult's vacation so this way you don't have that burden on there. If, if it's both parents of the kid traveling, then at least you can say, well, 
I may not be into this so much, but at least I'm the kid's happy. I'm, I'm watching the kid enjoy it, and uh, and both of you feel good because it's your kid. But if, if it's only one of your kids, then you you don't want to do that. So that's something. So that's when it's especially important to take an adult's vacation. But I do want to mention something else regarding kids, and that is there's a belief that if you believe if you bring your kids on a vacation that you have to focus on things that are aimed at kids, and you don't. Uh, mm-hmm. Kids can have a good time in a lot of different ways to where you can do things that also appeal to the adults, and you you have to know your kid. Every kid is different, but uh, you don't have to necessarily look for things that are kiddie activities. You can look for things that everybody's going to like. Uh, like I know my son, he likes uh, – if he finds uh, bodies of water, whether rivers or lakes, he, he likes uh, throwing rocks on, into the water and, and messing around with the water there. So that doesn't sound like something very complex, and it isn't, but uh, he finds that, and he's very happy. And so that can be combined with a hike that the adults are more enjoying, and then you tell them, oh, we're going to be going by this river, by this lake, and you'll get to throw rocks in there, and then everybody's happy. So this is something where you're doing a non-kitty activity, but everybody can get enjoyment from it. So you should also try to look for things like that, that if you do have kids with you, that everybody can enjoy and not just have it be all about the kids. I love that. Roasting marshmallows or what have you, or building a fire together or whatever. So love that. Um, Also, I think attitude is very important. I know sometimes couples get very competitive with each other, but I think if you take the demeanor that this is a football team, that we are a team, that we're going into this travel vacation together with mutual ideas and to the mutual benefit of both of us, that we're not in competition with each other, I think that'll make for a happier vacation. Yeah, definitely. There, sh- there shouldn't be any kind of competition on a vacation. There's no point for that. And uh, you really just want the vacation to be good and for everybody to be happy and everybody to enjoy themselves there. And that's, that's the most important thing. And you definitely shouldn't be looking to have any kind of competition. Exactly. All right. If you've just joined us, you're currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. We are joined by my guest host today, Todd Wittellis. We're talking about traveling as a couple. So you can hop in on this topic, 323-642-1677, 323-642-1677. When we come back from the break, let's talk about the big one travel budget. How do we divvy that up? All right, we'll catch you right back after the break. Hey guys, do you have a nagging problem that you just can't get a handle on? Now you can talk to an expert coach right in the privacy of your own home. Meet in person, over the phone, or with a free Skype call anywhere in the world. Linda is here to make it easy for you. Linda Gross has done years of academic research combined with interviewing over 20,000 men. Linda's expert advice gets you through tackling relationship issues, business goals, conflict resolution, and removing lifetime roadblocks that have kept you back, usually handled in four sessions or less. Realize the benefits now. Go to the Men's Advocate page slash coaching and you'll be on your way. That's themensadvocate.com slash coaching. 
Darn, maybe you missed part of this show. Maybe you're still at work during the show. Maybe you heard the show but would like to listen again. Your problems are easily solved. Listen to any and all of Linda's archived shows at your convenience. Just Google SoundCloud, The Men's Advocate. That's Google SoundCloud, The Men's Advocate. The on-demand library is also available on the TuneIn app. Subscribe now and please share with your friends. Welcome back, everybody. You're currently listening to the Men's Advocate Show with me, your host, Linda Gross. We're on with my guest host today, Todd Wattellis, and we're talking about traveling as a couple. All right, uh, Todd, let's dive into the travel budget. Like, how do we figure out what the budget is, who's paying for what, what's the best way to handle that? Well, the first thing I have to say about the travel budget and the money part of the travel is I can't stress this enough. Spend your money wisely because there are so many different ways you can waste money on travel. There's so many different ways you can get poor value. There's so many different ways you can spend a lot and get very little. Now, I mentioned one of the ways you can get a lot more for your dollar is to travel during non-peak times, but some of us can't do that, including myself sometimes. So I can't just say do that, and I know a lot of people just can't. However, there's a lot of other ways to spend your money wisely. First of all, some people believe that the cheapest place they can get is the best deal. That's incorrect. Some people believe that they need to stay in the highest-end hotel in every destination, otherwise they'll be unhappy. Well, everybody has their own standards, but in general, that's also incorrect. So what you need to do is you need to look for value. You, don't, you shouldn't look, look for the cheapest. You should look for the best value. So typically, and it varies from place to place, and you need to look at this. When you're planning, you do need to take a little time and look at what hotels, hotels are available. You need to read reviews. You need to intelligently read reviews, meaning you need to kind of throw out the outliers. But if you see the same thing being said over and over, it's probably true. So you need to do research as you're planning each destination, and you need to look at the costs. And in general, the cheapest hotels are very lousy. You're not going to like it. There's going to be a bad element staying there, and even the rooms are going to be dirty, and it's, it's going to just be a very bad time. So you don't want to stay in the cheapest option. It's not worth it. You also may not want to stay in the highest end option unless you have a ton of money and don't mind wasting it because those tend to not be great value. So to give an example, you don't want to stay in the $60 a night motel and you probably don't want to spend stay in the uh, $500 a night luxury hotel. Mm-hmm. But often what's kind of in the middle is the best value because what's in the middle, like the hotel that's 120 a night, that is going to be substantially better than the 60 by an incredibly wide margin. And the amount it's worse than the one that's 500 is sometimes not that much. It's not going to be as nice usually as these super expensive ones, but sometimes if you look for the hotels that are well-reviewed – it won't be that far off, and you, and you can be very happy with your accommodations. So you, you need to read reviews. You need to look at the value. You need to make sure that you, you're getting the discounts that you can possibly get, such as if you're a member of AAA, that's usually around 10% off. AARP, 10% off. Uh, then sometimes there are uh, other ways you can get money off. Uh, 
joining certain little free online clubs and stuff, and they'll give you codes to use. So those are some ways you can save money. Uh, something I would advise against is doing that booking where you take away your right to cancel the hotel and you save 20%. A lot of people do that, and then there's two problems with that. Number one, if you want to cancel, you're stuck. And number two, people don't think of number two, if the price goes down, you're stuck. And what I find happens often is I'll book something six months in advance, and then I'll check again two months beforehand. Oh, my gosh, the price has gone down by 50%. So I call up and say, re-rate it, please. Always check the prices after you've booked, provided there's a refund available, which hotels are almost always is. Usually hotels you can cancel for a full refund up to two days beforehand. So keep checking those prices. If it's gone down, call up and say, re-rate it for me. And if they won't re-rate it, then just cancel and rebook. But they usually will re-rate it because they know you can cancel and rebook. But this is something you should always check on. And I've saved a lot of money this way. And another thing you can do is when you get there, you can ask, uh, it, do they have something you can upgrade? How much is it? Or you can sometimes even uh, get upgrades because you're a, you have a status with a certain group of properties. It's, it's sometimes good to get these uh, credit cards that will automatically elevate you to a higher status at, at a certain group of properties like IHG or Hilton or Marriott, and then they'll automatically give you upgrades or at least upon request. These little things can, can really increase the value you're getting on your vacation, and it doesn't even take that much effort, but it can make a tremendous difference in what, what you're getting for your money. So you, you always have to make sure you're spending money wisely, and once you've booked, keep checking those prices. That's one thing I've got to say. Then as far as airlines, if you're going to fly somewhere, uh, shop around with that as well. You can use sites like uh, kayak.com, which will sort all the different airline prices, and you can find the best one. Uh, typically, I don't like to do stops. Everybody has their own preference. I like to just fly and get to the de destination because flying is a pain in the butt. It's even worse these days with having to wear masks the whole time. So I feel it's better to get to your vacation as directly and easily as possible. So I would look for a nonstop. I would avoid the discount airlines, especially if you're tall. Something people sometimes don't know is the discount airlines have such little leg room it should be illegal. So if someone <laughs> like who's tall, I'm not even kidding. I don't even think it, I think it should be clearly disclosed because I, I wouldn't even fit in some of these seats that are on the discount airlines. So don't don't fly Spirit and Frontier. You can usually find a decent deal, especially if you book uh, somewhat out. But it's not even like the old days. You don't even need to book eight months out anymore. You can sometimes get great deals uh, a few weeks away and uh, just search around. And sometimes you can adjust your vacation the days you're taking based upon the airline flights. I've had it where I want to go, say, on uh, July 13th, and I say, oh, okay, flying on July 13th is expensive, but July 16th is cheaper. So I'll just move the whole vacation three days back. So yeah. things like that. Seeking value. Another little tip that you can do is if it's a special event, like it's a honeymoon, anniversary, or milestone birthday, tell the people because sometimes you get free perks. So we went to um, Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, and it was a milestone birthday and I told the people at the front desk, and sure, we, we started off in a one-room hotel down on the second floor or third floor, whatever it was, and I told the people we got transferred to the top floor in a two-bedroom suite at no extra charge. So 
use it. <laughs> Maybe you're going to say no, but every once in a while, you might get lucky. Well, not just that. In general, if you speak to the front desk of the, of the property on the phone, I don't mean the national number. They'll never do anything for you. But if you get someone physically at the property in the front desk, and uh, they will typically want to help you when you have some kind of issue or just something that you'd like to see that they could help you with. So I'll give you an example. Sometimes people will get free rooms through uh, points or through uh, their credit card, whatever it is. You get, you're getting a free room. And when you get a free room, you're getting the very basic room. So I'll give you a, tri- a trick right now that works very, very well and has worked for me many times. If you're getting one of these free rooms, you're getting just the ba- very basic room. What you do is you call up and you say, you know, I'm getting this free room and I realize I'm going to get the basic room, but I'd like to upgrade to such and such. How much is it to do it? Well, what they're going to say is we don't have a way to do that. We don't have a way in our system to upgrade you because the free rooms are free room and you get the bottom one. And then so you tell them, well, I know, but I, is there a way I can do it? I'll pay for it, but tell me how I can do it, how much it is. Yes. What will usually happen is they're just going to want to help you and say, you know what, I'll, I'll just upgrade you. I'll, I'll, I'll just give it to you. And, and if they don't say that, they'll give you some very low price to do it. But just about every time I've done it for free and just about every time they've helped me and done it for me. So that's a great trick if you're getting a free room where there is no way to upgrade it. They will often upgrade you for free just by offering that you will pay for it, and then they don't have a way to do it, and they'll just give it to you. In general, the front desk is very helpful when you need something. Be polite to them, of course, and be very gracious on the phone and appreciative for everything they do, but that that can work. But never call the national 800 number. They won't ever help you. So that's that's uh, one tip along with what uh, Linda says. Another thing that's important is if you have a room preference, like you don't want to be right next to the elevator because it's noisy, or you don't want to be by the ice machine, or maybe you do want to be close to the elevators and get there quickly, or you want to be on a high floor, or you don't want to face the, the busy street, whatever your preference might be beforehand, call up around 3 p.m. of the day you're checking in and tell them you'd like them to hold a room of whatever type you want. So give me a high floor that's facing away from the street or away from the elevator, whatever. But call up because otherwise if you show up at 10.30 p.m., guess what? You're going to get whatever's left, and it's going to be the worst rooms on the property. And it doesn't cost you anything to do this other than like a few minutes of your time. Right. Another little trick that I've used is a service called Hotwire. So they tell you to go on their site, and they have all types of, you know, different ranges of hotels, anywhere from a two-star hotel to a five-star hotel. So they say pick your, you know, what level of service you want. So I pick four stars, let's say. And they say, okay, um, we're going to give you a four-star hotel, which is in within one mile of your destination. Of course, you put the destination city in there. Within one mile, guaranteed, but we're not going to tell you what the name of the hotel is. So you get there, you pay for it in advance, whatever, and sure enough, <laughs> I got a great hotel last time. Um, it was a $650 hotel that I got for $120 only because they wouldn't disclose to me the name of the hotel, which well, was fine by me. <laughs> I'll give you a trick and figure it and out. They were, and they were right. Uh, it was within one mile of where I needed to go. Well, you got – well, the thing is you got kind of lucky in that uh, – well, you got lucky in a few ways there. But there are also some bad stories from Hotwire that 
what they call four stars isn't really four stars, or, or they give you the worst room in the place. So there yeah. are some downsides to Hotwire. However, if you do see a very good deal like that, the way you can often tell is you can sometimes figure out what the property is. So, mm-hmm. for example, it will sometimes show you how many reviews it has, and then you can see that it's uh, – they'll tell you what site the reviews are on. So then you just go on that site and look mm-hmm. at the area hotels, how many have that number of reviews. So if it says uh, four and a half stars at a 637 reviews from TripAdvisor, you go to TripAdvisor and look which property in that city has 637 reviews. Oh, that's exactly it. So you can pull things like that. Also, sometimes there's a unique feature of that property that no other property has in the area, such yeah. as it has a casino attached or it has uh, – uh, has two pools or something that's listed that the others wouldn't have. So you can a lot of times deduce what property it is, and that will give you a lot of assistance in being able to tell what you're getting. And and you should also be careful with Hotwire that you really are getting a much better deal, and this is after whatever fees they put in, that you get a much better deal than what you would get normally. Otherwise, it's not worth using. So if you if it's a $170 hotel normally and Hotwire, you're going to get it $155. Don't do it because you'll get all the disadvantages of Hotwire then, which is you can't cancel and also that you are stuck in that if you have it, you get a bad room there, you, there's nothing you can do. The, they will do the least for Hotwire or Priceline customers if there is a problem. So mm-hmm. typically you do want to book with the hotel unless you're getting a really good deal with something like Hotwire, like what you found there, like where you, you happen to get something that is normally $650, you got it for $120. If you find something like that, you jump on it in a second. So that, that's what I would suggest is to use these – whatever information it shows you, use that to try to deduce through Google what the actual property is. Often you can 100% deduce it. Gotcha. Good, good tips there. All right. So what happens when you have some different traveling habits? In other words, one person likes a deluxe room, like, you know, four stars or whatever. The other person is perfectly fine with roughing it or backpacking. Maybe person A wants to drive there. I hate driving there. I don't want to spend nine hours on the road when in one hour I could just be there and fly. I'd rather spend those additional eight hours sightseeing or traveling or whatever. And then lastly, you have one person that likes to book the itinerary and the other person just wants to wing it. Well, yeah, that could be a problem and that just involves compromise. Uh, Sometimes it could be something kind of uh, in between where let's say somebody, one of the two wants to stay in a uh, luxury hotel and the other one wants to stay in a basic hotel and thinks it's a waste of money. Uh, You can try to stay in something in between or sometimes you can do a combination of both. This is where I I wouldn't say like odd and even days like you mentioned earlier, but I I would say something like some of the places you stay will be more what one person wants. The other days will be more what the other person wants. Uh, You you always have to try to find some balance and sometimes you can just be absolutely incompatible, in which case you may not be able to travel together. So hopefully you're not with a person like that long term, or otherwise you may not just be tra- you may not be taking trips together. Uh, you, you should never force a trip. You should never just take a trip because you feel you should be taking a trip when everybody's going to be miserable. And and yes, there are people who have very very different desires for what they want to do travel wise, and that is one form of compatibility you should pay attention to when you're dating someone. Is if they are so different from you regarding what appeals to them travel-wise, then maybe that 
it will be a factor in deciding whether you want to stay with them. Now, if, if everything else is great about this person and just the traveling is something you can't agree on, then you can overlook it. But it's just one data point there you can use if you have a future with that person. But uh, let's say you're already together now and it's, it's nothing you'd break up over. Uh, sometimes you may just have to decide not to travel if you can't come to this compromise. Right. Now, how about if you have different agendas for the day? So let's say you're going on a little bit longer trip, maybe it's seven to ten days, and this particular destination, it's known for their shopping. You don't want to go shopping. You have no interest in that whatsoever, and you want to instead, I don't know, go to the new dinosaur museum that just opened up in that same town. So is it okay to separate for the day? She does her thing, you do your thing, and hey, we'll meet up during dinner. Yeah, as long as that doesn't become the theme of the trip where you're constantly separating, then it's totally fine. And often that is a solution if there's two different things that you guys want to do, and especially if people feel very strongly, like if one person feels very strongly they have to do such and such thing when they're in a certain place they go, and the other just has zero interest and says, I'm just going to be unhappy there, but I'd be okay doing something else myself, then that's fine, as long as it's not most of the trip where you're constantly separating and doing things by yourself. But if both people are happy being by themselves or at least okay with it, then it's not bad to do that as a form of compromise. And and I, I like the part where, where you said kind of make it a one-off. So if it's seven to ten days and it's only one day that you're doing this, then fine. It's not like habitually like three or four days out of each week you're doing this because otherwise what's the point? Yeah, and now there are some people who just enjoy relaxing on vacation where they just they'll, – they'll be happy sitting in front of the pool or in front of the ocean all day or just or – just, sleeping in the hotel room where they, they just want to relax. These are often people who are very busy otherwise in life and just not doing much at all is appealing to them. Then it becomes a little easier for the one who does want to do things to go off by themselves as long as they're okay with it. They, the person going off and doing things by themselves may not enjoy being by themselves. They, 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 want, they, they want to have a partner they're doing things with. So again, you shouldn't have this where it's uh, constantly happening. But let, let me give you an easy example here. You go to Las Vegas, and one person just wants to sit by the pool, and the other person likes to go gamble. That's not that bad because both people get to do something they like, and uh, usually you can go gamble without uh, feeling that bad that there's nobody with you. So it depends on the activity. But then again, like going sightseeing, like let's say you go to a national park, you don't really want to go around by yourself that much if you're traveling with somebody else. So that's the type of thing where you really shouldn't be – separating that often. But mm-hmm. if it's a city and just people have different ideas of what they find appealing and both really find it appealing, uh, yeah, you can separate sometimes, but try to minimize that as much as possible. So for those of us who are planners, my recommendation is try to book as much as you can from home. Um, there, To me, there's no point in spending valuable hotel time trying to figure things out and book things. I'm not a wing it type of girl, and invariably the thing that I want to book, they're closed on Tuesday. So if I had that information while I was at home, then I would plan the trip accordingly. You know, the winging it thing to me just doesn't make any sense, and you waste a lot of valuable vacation time finding these things out. 
And sometimes yeah. you might even waste a day because you really like blew it because they're closed on Tuesdays or whatever. Yeah, you you waste a lot of value money-wise because uh, a lot of times you'll get a worse price doing it at the last minute, and also you don't have as much time to research everything. But even if you don't care about the money factor, as you were saying, there's all these idiosyncrasies that can come up of things you needed to plan in advance, whether it's something that needs to be booked in advance because it fills or something that uh, requires some sort of uh, reservation you wouldn't expect or something that's closed on a day or certain hours you wouldn't expect. And then you get there and you go, oh, crap, I didn't know I can't do this now. Or I didn't know I did a reservation for this. It doesn't make any sense. So if you don't look into these things beforehand, then you can get burned. And I've had that happen occasionally where I don't I, I try to play in it, plan in advance, and I miss something, and then I don't make a reservation for something, and I can't get in, and it's frustrating. So definitely if you're going to go somewhere, it is better to carefully look into everything you're doing and see what is required and what is necessary. And uh, one other thing regarding the planning, make sure to bring the right clothing, and I don't just mean as far as uh, what the dress codes are, though you have to pay attention to that too but also for the weather. So you, you don't want to ignore that. For example, a lot of people don't know, like in Hawaii, there are places that are cold. There's mountains in Hawaii that are quite cold that are very interesting, but you go to the top, you'll be freezing and you'll hate it. And you say, oh, if only I brought a jacket here, but who would have thought to bring a jacket to Hawaii? So you've got to think about the weather of where you're going. You should look it up. You should look if anything you're going to might be something different than you'd expect especially if it's on a mountain, it can be very different than what it is at the bottom. Something that always confuses people is uh, in uh, Colorado, Pikes Peak, that's uh, over 14,000 feet. You'll go to Colorado, and in Colorado Springs on the ground, it's uh, 90 degrees and humid. And then you get to the top, and it's, uh, it's 45 degrees and windy at the top of Pikes Peak. You can't believe it. So y you always have to think about where you're going, look up what the weather is, and, and bring the right clothes for it, because the last thing you want is to be dressed the wrong way for what you're doing. Exactly right. The tram at Palm Springs, California, again, it's like 90 degrees down below, but once you get up to the top, it could be in the 40s. So you're absolutely right on that. And I think if you go to a cooler climate, always make sure that your feet and head are happy. So, for example, one time when we went to Seattle and everyone said, why are you going to vacation on Seattle? It's always raining. It's always raining. But I happened to bring my duck boots, and I could give a rat's tail how much it was raining because my feet were happy, they weren't cold, and they weren't wet. So bring the right gear, you know, for the climate. And then, you know, it doesn't wreck your day. So if it's rain boots or boots that are good for the snow or umbrellas or whatever it is, something, you know, head covering, that's the right head covering. Or maybe you've got this awesome jacket that you can squash into your suitcase and it takes no room in the suitcase. But if the weather starts to, you know, really chill down, you can bring out that awesome uh, jacket and still stay warm. Yeah, that's for sure. You, you definitely have to have the right stuff. Otherwise, something that could be fun can be miserable. Now, let's talk about a little downtime. I mean, I'm a planner. I love to do things, but I have a personal rule. Don't book more than two things on the itinerary per day. So if you're going to do like a museum and this sightseeing thing or whatever, 
not more than, you know, one to two major events per day. And also schedule a little bit of time where you're just not doing anything because you just want to chill, kick your feet up, have a glass of wine, and just don't even worry about anything. Yeah, that's a good idea. And also there can be unexpected delays where the service is slow at lunch or there's a problem with a hotel, you have to wait for them to come up and uh, fix something. There's a lot of unexpected things that can happen, and the more things that are packed into the day, the less flexibility you'll have. So you, you want to have some flexibility, and uh, for that reason, you, you don't want to overdo it. And it just gets stressful to go from one thing to the next. Yep. And how about maybe bring a portable tripod um, if you want to take those couple shots? I mean, yes, it's always, you know, nice to ask, you know, a bystander there to take your shot, but sometimes you don't want to bug people, you know. So uh, maybe having the right gear or an extender, you know, cell phone extender or whatever, or tripod, that might be the trick. You fold it up, it's, it's six inches, it's next to nothing, you know, that might get the job done. Yeah. That uh, you know, whatever people feel is some some don't mind asking people. Some wouldn't want to carry the tripod. Some would say, "Oh, yeah, it's a great idea. I love having this thing." So it's it, it's all a personal preference with things like that. But just think of what you'll need on the trip. Here's something you may need that you wouldn't think about. I often will bring a power strip because sometimes it's just hard to find enough plugs. So I'll put put one of those little power strips yeah. in my case, and, and uh, I'm sometimes very thankful I have that, especially some of these older hotels which weren't uh, made with people having a lot of devices in mind because when the hotel was built, people didn't. So mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not a hard thing to bring. And uh, I'll also sometimes – oh, here's one other thing I want to say that people don't think about. You know those glasses that are in the room? They're usually cleaned very poorly. They're usually not very uh, washed. They're not washed well at all or not washed at all. Sometimes the, they'll just rinse it off after the last guest. So I always like to bring a bunch of uh, paper cups, and okay. uh, and then I use those. Now, some hotels give you paper or plastic cups, and while it looks cheesy, I actually much prefer that because you know it's clean because these are individually wrapped. But I will just bring a stack of, of paper cups, and uh, this way you don't have to worry about that because they even had undercover – uh, cameras and they, it's been shown what the maids really do, even in very high-end hotels, where they'll use the same rag to clean the toilet to to wipe down the cups. Ugh, uh, I don't yeah, want to hear that. <laughs> but ever since I saw that, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to bring paper cups. And I'm not even like a germ freak. This is just like the one thing where I'll I bring my own stuck thing out in your mind, huh? Yeah. Wow. And it's easy. You know, it's not that hard to bring a bunch of paper cups. They all stack right. together. Right. What I like to think, speaking of drinking, what I like to do is scout out where the nearest corner store is or 7-Eleven or whatever, and I go buy a big bottle of water. So I'll have my reusable bottles in my suitcase, but when I get to the hotel, that way I just keep refilling it up because the last thing you want to do is get dehydrated and there's no water anywhere. Yeah. In fact – when I go on trips, I usually go to a supermarket and I just buy whatever we're going to need, snacks, and I get, I get a lot of bottled water and uh, other drinks and I'll get some soda, Wh- whatever it is. I'll, I'll buy a bunch of stuff at the beginning of the trip and then mm-hmm. we'll keep it in the car and then eventually we, we run out and we, we have to go again. But uh, for, for a number of days, we're good. And this way, we don't have to count on getting these things 
on the road or where we are, sometimes there's nowhere to get these things, especially in national parks or other places that don't have any kind of vendors. And even if you do find the vendors, they tend to be very expensive. But sometimes it's not even a matter of money. It's just the stuff isn't there. So it's better to get a bunch of supplies once you get to your destination. And yeah, it seems unpleasant to know who wants to go to a supermarket on the first day of your trip. And I understand that, but it saves a lot of hassle later. Yes, it does. Also, another good one is take the time to eat. You don't want to go, go, go all day and look at the clock and then now it's five o'clock and you still haven't eaten. Um, (laughs) You're going to be wiped out tomorrow. So um, make time to eat some lunch, make time to eat dinner at a normal hour. You know, you you don't want to be eating dinner at midnight or whatever. Um, Yeah, you just need to have time to recharge the battery, so to speak. Yeah, and when you're looking for a place to eat, always look at reviews. That's very important. It's something you can do these days very easily compared to before. Mm-hmm. And if you see bad reviews, don't go. I don't mean like one or two bad reviews where most of them are good. I mean if you look on Yelp and it's two and a half stars, it's going to be terrible. You shouldn't go there, it's, and we should especially never do, is go to an expensive place that has bad reviews because oh. then you're getting the best, the worst of both worlds. And there's a lot of crappy places, especially ones – that do not need to count on locals to survive. So at least in destinations where a lot of the people eating there are local, then the place can't be that terrible, otherwise it would go out of business. But there are many restaurants that just don't care because they get different people every day. It's always travelers coming through. There's not a whole lot of repeat travelers, so they don't have to keep anybody happy. And and, uh, if you see any restaurant that has a low star rating on Yelp or TripAdvisor or anything else, then I would avoid it like the plague. Very important. Good deal. Also, if you're going to a destination that has multiple connections in order for you to get there, more multiple forms of transportation to get there, for example, let's say you're traveling by train, and then after you get done with the train, you're going on the ferry boat, and after you get done with the ferry boat, you're going on an Uber Always allow extra, extra time, way more than you think, because one of those legs of the trip, <laughs> you know, what it happens if it's severely delayed, you're going to miss your next connection. So just, just allow for stuff happens. Yes, and sometimes try not to overdo the multiple traveling within a short period of time because it, it can get exhausting it can get stressful so that is something to consider when booking the trip of how easy is it to get certain places and i have had it before where something seems cool but it requires like a ferry ride six hours each way and i go you know what it, I, I don't want to do it it's just uh it's, it's not that exciting to see so i i just won't do that so you you have to balance that of how difficult places are to get versus how badly you want to see them. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. All right. So let's uh, wrap this up. Do you have any closing thoughts on travel? Anything that we haven't covered? Well, I guess my closing thoughts are make sure the person you're traveling with is someone that you know well, that you feel the relationship stable. Make sure you're getting good value. Make sure you plan. Make sure you check prices. Make sure you check reviews. These things can seem like a pain in the butt, but if you don't do it, it's going to be a much bigger pain in the butt when things go wrong. And uh, 
and, and try, try to make it – it's going to be something everybody enjoys. I, I can't stress that enough. And also, uh, the, the more difficult it is to get somewhere, the more you have to make sure that it's going to go right. If it's something that's easy to do and easy to get to, it's, it's easier to take a risk. It's easier to do something more spur of the moment. It's easier to take a chance with something that may not be that great. But if it's something that's uh, very far away or very difficult to get to, you want to make sure it's something you really want to do. And that's something else to think about because you want uh, the proper ratio of trouble to get there versus uh, how – good of a time you have when you're there. Right. And when I find myself in those types of situations, I usually try to look and see if there's a transportation upgrade. In other words, if the normal form of transportation is to take a bus, and even though those buses are in Europe, they're quite luxurious. I mean, they've got all the amenities, but hey, it's an eight-hour trip. And they're they're traveling, you know, at night when you're supposedly you're sleeping, which I can never sleep on those things. So instead, what I do is I'll look into, hey, what would it cost to fly? Yeah, is it more? Yes, it's more. But I'm going to be there in, in an hour. And again, the bus may break down or run out of gas or whatever it is. I don't want to deal with all that. I don't want to deal with not being able to sleep because there's somebody two rows behind me making all kinds of noise. I don't want that. So I will try to see if there isn't a transportation upgrade option. And like you say, sometimes there isn't, and then you sort of have to say yes or no, do I even want to go? Yeah. You you always want to look for any kind of upgrade, especially some kind of relatively cheap upgrade. If if you can get something a lot better for only a little bit of money, it's almost always the correct thing to do, provided that uh, you're not on such a tight budget that you can't afford it. And that's something to always look at as well. Uh, and this includes activities. Sometimes an activity will have some kind of upgraded option, and you need to look at it and say, okay, is this only a little bit more money? And would I like this? And if the answer is yes, then always do it. Uh, I, I had a, a great example where I was in Alberta a few years ago, and uh, there's this, this vehicle that would take you actually up to a glacier. You can walk on the glacier. It looks very interesting. But uh, I was reading the reviews about it, and I saw a lot of complaints that they bring a bunch of these vehicles at once, that there's 600 people all together in a small area of the glacier, and you all crowded together. Uh, I saw a lot of complaints like that. And then I mm. saw someone mention – in one of the reviews, someone mentioned that for like 25% more, you can do the upgraded experience where there's barely anybody with you. And, and oh. not only that, they give you snacks, and they give you a buffet afterwards, and I go, wait a minute. Why would anyone do this, this regular one? And mm -hmm. sure, it was because most people didn't know about the upgraded one. But the funny thing was there were people that just didn't want the upgraded one because they said, well, I want to do the cheaper way. And that, that's a huge mistake because it was very clear from reading these two descriptions that one was a tremendously better value. One was a tremendously better experience. So if it's going to be 10 times as much money, yeah, you may not want to do that unless you're really rich. But if it's 25% more and the experience is way better – then that's a no-brainer to do that. So, and then I did it, and I said, "Wow, I'm so glad I was up there with you know me and 15 other people instead of 600." You can imagine the difference. Yeah. So, that is the type of example where if there is an upgraded option in 
any way, whether it's an activity, whether it's in the form of travel, whether it's uh, a meal, whatever it is, if there's a, an upgrade which looks significantly better, not just for status, but something that actually is functionally better, and it's not that much more money, you should always go with it because that's almost always the better value. Love that. By the way, um, for our listening audience, if they haven't been to a glacier, it's one of my favorite, favorite things to do. It's, it's probably one of those things that you need to put on the bucket list, you know, see a volcano, see a glacier. <laughs> so very, very interesting on, on uh, that part of the world and how it all works. So agree there. All right, Todd, I think uh, that about wraps us up, unless you have anything further to add. Nope, I think that's about it. So I hope you guys have uh, enjoyed this and uh, hope you can take something from this and improve your traveling. And sometimes it's just the little things that matter. You do something a little bit differently and you can make the experience a whole lot better. So I encourage everybody to think about some of the stuff we've talked about tonight and, and try it for yourself. And maybe it won't be for you, but I, I think some of these suggestions, if you try them, you'll agree that you'll have a much better experience traveling. Absolutely. Thank you again for joining our our show. You've been a great asset to the show, and hopefully we'll circle back real soon on another topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll come back sometime soon. So thank you for having me, Linda. Thank you again. All right, everybody, be well. We'll see you next week right here on the Men's Advocate Show. Bye for now. <laughs>